Hi, this is Chris Marchand of Between the Songs Podcast. I'm here with Joe Cook to tell you about another podcast we've created, and we hope, if you've enjoyed Between the Songs, that you'll enjoy this one, too. It's called Nostalgic Future Podcast, and that's what it's all about. Chris and I dive deep into our nostalgia, all the pop culture stuff that we grew up with, and we examine how it's influenced our lives and how that continues today and into the future. So join us for fun discussions about some of our favorite movies, television shows, music, books. Really, nothing is off limits. We even have special guests on from time to time to talk about some of their nostalgic obsessions. Check out Nostalgic Future Podcast, available now on all the big podcasting apps. And you can also follow us on social media. It's Nostalgic Future Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And we're at Past Future Pod on Twitter. Nostalgic Future Podcast, where the past is the only way forward. I was just looking at it and going, wow, I see stones every day. Um, And driving from uh, Flagstaff to Albuquerque and then back to here and then across to uh, Tuba City, beautiful, beautiful, great stone monoliths that are just shocking to see. And I went, but why is this so exceptional? And I realized it was exceptional because it was empty. And I thought... uh, what a wonderful thing that because that rock emptied itself, it stands out above all the other ro- rocks that I've seen. It will be the one that that somehow is a sticking image for me. And I thought not only is it wonderful that that rock emptied itself of itself, but then the sky filled it up with the sky. Much like Jesus, Paul said, emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. And um, no one in the history of mankind was as glorious as Jesus was. Welcome to the Rich Mullins Between the Songs podcast. My name is Chris Marchand. And I'm Joe Cook. And we are two, uh, you know, self-proclaimed Rich Mullen superfans working our way through a bunch of episodes where we take on and unpack each album that Rich Mullins recorded throughout his life. However, as we have been doing lately, today is another, yes, another bonus episode. Joe, tell us what today's episode is going to be. It's actually really kind of special. It's, 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 this is going to be a really interesting one. Yeah, today's is really different than anything we've done before, and uh, I should just provide a little context that uh, uh, the concert film for our Window Rock uh, tribute concert to Rich Mullins from back in September, where the the video was released online, and uh, so uh, we're kind of doing this to coincide with that, and so we've got a couple special little things happening uh, in this program. One we're going to hear in just a few minutes from the director of the video, Larry Handley of Little Brown Dog Productions. Uh, he's the guy who really made the, the, uh, the, the film part of this happen. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. But uh, the cool thing that we're going to be doing in this episode is we're going to be able to, to do something that otherwise we would never be able to do. And that's have Rich Mullins himself on the program uh, through the magic of recorded audio cassette tape. How are we making Mullins appear? Is it some kind of automated Mullins uh, voice-activated thing? Or uh? 
<laughs> it's hologram, hologram rich. Hologram Mullins, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what we're doing is actually our guest uh, is going to be Chuck Harper, who is my boss here at Western India Ministries. He's the director of Western India Ministries. And uh, he was one of the guests on our uh, third episode, the uh, live Q&A that we did in Window Rock. And uh, we taped this. This actually aired on the radio here in Window Rock on the, September 19th, the anniversary of Rich's passing. We aired this interview with Chuck, and Chuck really tells the entire story of how he got to know Rich, how Rich uh, started coming out to Window Rock and then eventually moved to the reservation. But the cool thing about it is, is that on, in March of 1992, 25 years ago, Chuck interviewed Rich in the same studio that I interviewed Chuck in. And uh, for the first time in 25 years, we aired that interview. And so we're going to be bringing that to you on today's episode, the lost Rich Mullins interview with Chuck Harper. Yeah, so that's that's really kind of an exclusive. I mean, you know, of course we're excited to be able to interview Jimmy Abeg and Beth Snell Lutz and, and Mark Robertson. I mean, man, that, that was a privilege. But you you kind of did you kind of unearth it yourself? Was it you? Did you find it? <laughs> what happened is uh, I came into work one day and uh, I was talking to Chuck uh, in his office and I was getting ready to leave and he goes, oh, hey, wait a minute. And he says, I've got something for you. And he pulls out a cassette tape. He goes, I found this in a drawer. And uh, he said, can you take a look at this and see what's on it? And it was labeled Rich Mullins, March 1992. Well, of course, my eyes lit up. I, I immediately ran to the, our, our production room in the back and uh, and played it. And uh, it was just a great interview that he had done with Rich uh, on KHAC Radio here um, at Western Indian Ministries. And, uh, yeah, it, it was just a really cool thing to, to be able to hear that for the first time in, in a quarter of a century. And then, so, we, but the, the amazing thing was we get to, by, you know, by the time Chuck had found this tape, we were already planning the, uh, the Rich Mullins tribute concert. Well, at, at, during one point of the interview, Chuck asks Rich um, to share this story that he had shared in church the previous day about the window rock. And so he asks Rich to share this. Well, Rich just gives this phenomenal illustration. And as soon as I heard that, I knew that needed to open our concert. So for people who have um, watched the video or who were here in person, um, you heard a few minutes of Rich talking at the very beginning of the concert about the window rock. And that it came from this interview. So we're going to bring that to you today in its entirety. Yeah, so that's what's actually kind of cool, and that's why um, it, it that's why we're bringing in Larry Hanley's story as well. Because uh, I, I, I'm blanking on his name, but uh, you brought in an artist, a local artist uh, from Zuni, I believe, and uh, he wrote a song uh, about the window rock and about kind of taking what Mullen said as well. Okay, so what had happened? His name was Chad Meekoff. Yeah, Ch- Chad uh, grew up in Zuni. He got to know Rich when he was uh, like ten years old. And uh, Rich used to come down to his church and minister. And uh, Chad didn't actually write the song. A friend of his named Mitch Senti uh, wrote a song called See the Sun Through Window Rock. And about a year ago, um, maybe a little over a year, about a year and a half ago, uh, 
we had brought Mitch McVicker up to Window Rock to do a concert. Um, and a friend of mine wasn't able to attend that night. And so I knew that uh, that Mitch was going to be performing the next night down in Zuni. So I, I told my friend, I said, hey, well, if you want to go see uh, Mitch, I said, let's go down and see him tomorrow night. So we drove down to Zuni, and, uh, and Mitch did a great show, but the thing that really stuck with me was that this guy, Chad Meekoff, and his band opened for Mitch. And as they opened the show, they talked about their friend having written this song uh, based on something that Rich had once said about the window rock. And they sang this song. It was a, it's a gorgeous song. If you haven't heard it yet, go watch the, uh, the concert video. Um, it, it's the opening song of the show, and it, it's See the Sun Through Window Rock. And my friend and I sat there, and we had chills. We just looked at each other like, wow. See the sunrise at the break of dawn. Watch the birds fly over window rock. Something strange begins when the morning comes See the window lining up with the sun Let the sun shine through me and you Like the sun shines through window rock I, I knew when I heard that performance, uh, as we began to plan this concert, I knew that that song needed to be a part of the, the event. And then, uh, lo and behold, a few months later, uh, Chuck finds this cassette tape, and there's Rich giving the very illustration that inspired the song. And so, at, at that point, we knew, well, this needs to open the show. Oh, man. Well, that's <clears throat> that's also incredibly cool. I, I, it's, it's really neat to be able to bring it all together. Uh, and, and, and the next the next aspect of this, and, and we'll let Larry talk for himself here, is is Larry and, and his role. And, and I believe it was through Kathy Sprinkle that that she made the connection that Larry would come. And and, and the, the funny part for me is, you know, the day of the Window Rock tribute concert, you know, we're just like we're trying to like just set up and there's just like a, a bazillion things to do. And. Uh, the the wind of the window rock like blew over our our uh, our projector screen. You know we were gonna we were gonna project onto this you know big screen. <laughs> totally collapsed. Yeah, it collapsed because you know it, it collapsed, Joe. While you and I were holding the screen, it collapsed in our hands. It was awful. Well, well, we were desperately trying to cling to it to hold it up, and our friend Andrew is filming it. Yeah, our friend Andrew, uh, you know, previous podcasts. Yeah, you know, he's just like filming and uh, hopefully that footage never gets seen. Capturing our shame. <laughs> but see, while we're trying to set up and we're, we're just trying to get this this event going, here's Larry. You know, he's setting up like a bazillion cameras. And even through the course of the afternoon, he was interviewing people and you get to see everybody. I hope you're expecting this just utter greatness. But you get to see Joe and I, our, our talking heads, little uh, our little observations on Mullins. We're at the very beginning of the film. I was I was <laughs> I was a bit surprised to see myself so early on in the film. 
Uh, but but all all of which is to say, Larry set up and and he he really you know gave a, a professional quality recording. Uh, and it was, it's really great. It's really a wonderful thing. And the whole thing is like, what, two hours and 45 minutes or something like that. It's epic. Yeah, it's like it's that. just under three hours epic. long. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like how he edited it together. So, uh, please, uh, check out the between the songs, uh, podcast page. We'll have the, the concert film embedded there, but also just a link if you want to watch it in, in, uh, in Vimeo itself. Um, maybe it'll be on YouTube at some point, but right now it's on Vimeo, which is, you know, pretty, you know, high quality, uh, a, a video there, which so it looks really nice. Um, before we get to Larry, uh, we just really quickly need to say, please check out our sponsor, St. Rich Beard Oil. Okay, they're they're still going strong, and uh, I, I'm not sure if if Matt Walden is being bombarded with orders anymore, but St. Rich Beard Oil is still a thing. And uh, please check out the the podcast page for info on that. If you are uh, a bearded person. And or if you know bearded people, uh, so we very much uh, want to send you to Matt's way. It goes to a good good cause to support a, a ministry there in Houston. So please check out our sponsor, Saint Rich Beard Oil. Now, Joe, again, before we make it to to Larry, we probably need to offer just a a, a brief explanation of why we're not offering proper between the songs episodes why are we still doing bonus episodes like we, we we've had discussions about this and and we're we're, we're kind of doing some retooling of what we want this podcast to be what what do you want to say about that what what kind of excuse explanation can you offer our listeners i have a twofold answer on this there there's a legitimate technical answer and and i'll give that in a moment but the first reason, and, and I think that, and we won't get too into this because I think this will be a discussion for later, but, but I'll allude to the fact that we poured an awful lot into the first few episodes and then, and then just relentlessly put into pulling off this Window Rock tribute concert. And then we hit rich burnout. <laughs> And so I, I, I do think it was necessary for, for both Chris and myself to unplug from the, the Rich Mullins world for a couple months after the Window Rock event. Um, we, we were, I, I think we, we used the phrase, riched out. <laughs> yes. So that, that was the first reason. It was just sort of Rich Mullins overload, and we needed to unplug a little bit and, and I think recoup, recover, you know, from, from everything that had happened. And then as time went on and we began you know, to look at, well, our next proper episode, episode four, which would be the uh, the Rich Mullins uh, self-titled debut album, we started to reconsider how we wanted to present the uh, the episode or episodes on that record and, and have kind of sort of drastically changed in our minds how we want that to look. Would you like to share a little bit about that? Yeah, so... Here's one thing. Uh, I, I feel like a, a podcast should have a, a proper balance of some space and some fun with the actual content itself. And so you, you'll find the whole gamut. You, you know, you go on iTunes or whatever you listen to podcasts on. There's the whole gamut of podcasts. There are some podcasts that are just these tight documentaries or these, uh, you know, very, very uh, condensed uh, commentaries on something that you love, whether it's music or art or, uh, you know, news, some story from history. 
So there's there are very tight, condensed, um, very highly edited podcasts. I love those. I listen to a lot of those. There are other podcasts that are it feels like just you know some friends gathering around a microphone or two and just chatting away, and maybe there's somebody there that they're interviewing, and 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 kind of up to now in some ways. Our podcast resembles more of the looser feel. They're longer. There's a lot of back and forth banter and talking. Uh, and so we love that. I, I, I personally, I love it all. I love listening to it all. But I, I think one of our convictions is that we wanted to create a Rich Mullins podcast that was a little little more uh, uh, tightly condensed, something where you're getting your info at a, at, a, at a quicker pace and there isn't quite so much banter. And so here's what we're thinking is retooling the podcast a little bit so that uh, each episode on the albums features um, two. Uh, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll strike that. Reverse it, as Willy Wonka says. Uh, sure. <laughs> every uh, album will contain two episodes now, where the first episode will be a, a more of an in-depth look at the album and in the making, and we'll, we'll, we will be talking with pe- uh, people that uh, Mullins knew and worked with around the making of that album. So that's episode one for, for like, let's say, the first album, the self-titled. Episode two of that album will be Joe and I's take on the album. We'll look at the songs. We'll unpack them a little bit. We'll give our opinions. And, and so it'll, it's going to kind of be a both end where we, where we get the tightly packed episode and then we get some fun banter and some good conversations about Mullins' music. Yeah, because we don't we don't want to lose the banner. That's you know that that's part of what you know we enjoy about it, and I think that some of our listeners do enjoy. But we want to be able to, to really do justice with the album, with the source material. And so, in order to make that happen, that means we need to tell a story, and to tell the story properly, we need to talk to the people who were there who helped create the story. And so, we're putting a lot more effort and time into preparing for the episodes, just talking to interviewing people um, and just kind of writing things out. Um, it's going to take a little more time, but I think the, the finished product is going to be something much uh, higher quality than we would have if we'd kept going the way we started. Exactly. That's the intent. We, we want you to be able to listen to something that you will cherish and that you can uh, really recommend to other people as well. So give us, uh, give us some time, give us some patience. And so uh, just be on the lookout and uh, even so, we are pleased to be able to offer you some more bonus episodes. So let's, let's go into here what, what Larry has to say about the film, which we are, we are excited to be able to share with people. Even though it's not our film, we, you help put on the event, and it's really quite an honor to be able to have this out there for people to discover. Because not, a lot, not everybody was able to make it out to Window Rock. Yeah, I, I've been, I think I've been saying this uh, for the past few months, that once Larry came on board and it was Kathy Sprinkle contacted me and said this friend was interested in coming out and filming it do, you know do, do do we want somebody to film it and I'm just like are you kidding me of oh, yes it was like a it was like a total answer to prayer and uh from that moment forward when when I found out that Larry was coming and and I should say that you know and he he, he wouldn't say this on his own but I will say this was this was something that he was called to do um we didn't pay Larry to do this that this was Totally a donation on his part. He he flew himself out. Uh, he did all of this work on his own. He was there before anybody else the day of the concert. I think he was the last guy to leave. It was you know he was just he, the guy was working his tail off and nonstop. And um, if you've watched the film, you can see the the result of that. It was truly a labor of love. 
but from the day that I found out that he was going to do this, that this was confirmed, um, I really began to see Larry as maybe fill, you know, fulfilling maybe arguably the most important role that day is this is the guy who's going to document it for all of time. You know, who, how many were there? A couple hundred people there that night, um, Chris. But there have already been more people who have watched the, the video online who, than who were there that night. So this is the official document of what happened there. And so I, I began to realize that, that this, is, this is a very important thing that as uh, people who love Rich Mullins and who care about him and, uh, and who strive to understand who he was more, um, discover this, uh, that the work that Larry poured into this, his heart that he poured into this, is going to be for years to come uh, far bigger than what we experienced even there that night. It was, and it was a truly special um, thing to be there, to be a part of it. Like you said, I'm, I'm incredibly thankful and humbled to have been a part of it. But I think Larry has, by doing this, has allowed the concert a chance to live on far past that one night and touch a, a many, countless more people. So I, I'm just so thrilled uh, that not only he did it, but that uh, we can uh, allow him a few minutes to kind of share from his heart uh, why he did it. I would say for as long as I can remember, um, I've been a fan of Rich Mullins, and um, that goes way back. Uh, however, there was a very pivotal time that all of a sudden I became what I call a, um, um, a privileged fan, let's call it. And I remember it very distinctly, even though I didn't know it at the time. Um, and the story goes like this. In the year 2000, I believe it was 2000, I was at church, the church I attend, and uh, I heard some beautiful worship music. And afterwards, I went up to the worship leader, who I know, and I asked him if he would teach me guitar. And he politely, <laughs> but uh, definitely said, no, I will not do that. I can't do that, but I know people who can. And he wrote down two names with phone numbers on a list, on a piece of paper, and he handed them to me. And the first name on that list was Eric Houck. And uh, so he, because he was the first name on the list, I called the number. And within, I'd say, a few weeks, I was standing at his front door guitar in hand, ready to learn how to play guitar. I had no idea who Eric Houck was, um, and, and it went on a long time of me just taking guitar lessons and us becoming friends, and then somewhere along the way, I don't even remember when, uh, we, I discovered somehow that um, he had this relationship with Rich Mullins, this, this very real and deep relationship with Rich Mullins. And, um, and from that point on, we occasionally would share uh, stories about Rich, or he would share them with me more specifically. Um, but it wasn't this cornerstone of our relationship, but I, I got to know Rich Mullins basically through Eric Houck, and, and I felt very privileged in that. And then along the way, in addition to getting to know Rich through Eric, I got to know Rich through Eric's 
friends who were also very close to Rich Mullins. So this world kept opening up to me. And I felt very lucky. I felt very privileged in that. And uh, because I had been a Rich Mullins fan before that, but simply, um, for lack of a better term, just a fan. Um, his music has always been so incredibly special to me. You see, I, I think that he, um, quite frankly, is the best songwriter I've ever heard. I, I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, I think of songs like, I don't know, Desperado, Bridge Over Troubled Water, um, I know People Get Ready, uh, I don't know, you, you pick the ones you like, but I think of these great songs, and Rich wrote songs just as good as those, technically, mechanically, um, but his pointed people directly to Jesus, and to me that's profound. In my life, certainly, nobody has done that better. And um, I think it's testimony to the fact that 20 years later, we're still talking about Rich Mullins' music, and you still hear it on the radio, that, um, that, that his music is going to be timeless. And the importance of it is real. And it was real, it was happening, and it continues to be real to this day. And, um, and it's profound. Um, and, and I'm thankful for um, having discovered Rich Mullins' music when I did, and I'm even perhaps more thankful that I've gotten to know him through some of the people who are closest to him, even though I've never personally met him in my life. I was in the television news industry for 25 years. I was a, a broadcast meteorologist. I was a weatherman on TV, to put it very simply, for 25 years. And um, toward the end of that 25 years, probably the last, I'd say, two or three years, certainly, maybe the last five, I, I lost faith in that, that uh, profession, at that business. And... Um, and, and I, I wanted out, you know, I wasn't satisfied. I was going to work every day and I could feel myself being kind of eaten from the inside out and rotting from the inside out. And I, I didn't want to do that anymore. So my wife and I started to, you know, pray about um, what we could do next in life. <clears throat> Pardon me. And, um, and so, you know, I continued to work at my job in television and then an opportunity came along to get out and uh, just prior to that, probably a year prior to that, we started dipping our toes into storytelling on video. It's something I had talked about for a while. Still want to kind of take it on the road like a Charles Carl kind of thing. Um, I haven't quite done that yet, but uh, we are certainly getting to tell stories. And we feel like, both of us, my wife and I, that they, this is a gift from God. He gave us this opportunity to tell stories on video, pay our bills doing it, and I, I think he, he wants us to tell encouraging, motivational, inspirational stories that hopefully lead people to Him and lead people to the kingdom. Uh, hopefully, and I don't want to make this equation one-on-one -on -one, because I think Rich did a much better job than we are, but uh, hopefully kind of like what Rich did with his music. We want to tell those kinds of stories. And certainly 
the 20-year remembrance of Rich Mullins that was held at Window Rock um, is one of those stories. How did we get to tell that one? That's a good question. And um, I'll say that I had heard about it through uh, Eric, my friend Eric Houck, who played in the concert. But he started talking about it and talking about putting a band together from his church out in um, Wichita, Kansas, Andover, Kansas, to go and participate. And immediately I thought, hmm, is this a story I'm supposed to tell? I was getting those nudgings that it was. So I thought about it and I talked about it with my wife and we knew it was going to be somewhat of an investment. I was going to have to be away during some other stories we were telling here in Cincinnati and that was going to be a bit of a, a, a problem that we would have to solve. And we kind of waffled on it and you know, as I'm known to do, <laughs> I didn't make the decisions quick enough. Um, I didn't um, maybe necessarily believe God was speaking directly to me when he was, so I didn't commit to it as quickly as I should. And like it, most things in our lives, my wife and I, you know, it, it kind of took a back seat, maybe even two seats back, and um, maybe even was forgotten. But four or five days prior to the actual concert in September, we were driving someplace, and I was, uh, we were listening to the, a podcast, your podcast, that had Eric Halk on it. And Eric's talking about why he's coming out there, and you were expressing why this concert's going to take place. And um, we sat there quietly, didn't say a word to each other, listened to this whole thing. And finally it ended, and I, I turned it off, and we just drove a little bit further quietly. And all of a sudden she just turns to me and she said, you gotta go. You gotta go. And, uh, and then we, we turned it into high gear, you know, we, we figured out how to get a plane ticket out there and where I was going to stay. And, you know, we tried to figure out if we had enough equipment to take out there yet still do the jobs that we had already planned here in Cincinnati. So, um, it was fast and furious for a few days to get out there, but I made it and I did it. And I did it with the help of all the people out there who were so willing to participate and uh, give me assistance, and um, I'm glad I did. You know, for me, it was about being obedient, which I'm not always, and uh, in this case, I was, and um, and I think it turned out to be everything God wanted it to be, which I don't know what that means. I don't know what that is, uh, but He does, and um, I love the fact that I was obedient. In addition to, on a really personal level, um, it confirmed to me this, this road I've been on for 20 years of getting to know some of Rich's closest friends and getting to talk to them and getting to know Rich through these people, you know? Um, because I met people out at Window Rock that um, I'd only heard about or I had certainly never met before and each and every one of them was an absolute blessing to me. It was awesome. So that was, that was profound for me. Also seeing Window Rock, oh my goodness, it's such a magnificently beautiful place. And, um, you know, getting to um, mingle with, with the Navajo people out there was, was um, again, eye-opening and mind-opening. Uh, the whole experience was just tremendous. It's 48, 72 hours of this immersion into things that I had not been a part of. 
and uh, and I learned so much and felt so blessed by being out there. So, you know, on a personal level, there was a whole lot to it for me. On a professional level, I think this video um, has the power because it's a God-owned product to do some incredible work. My job is kind of done with it, but now God gets to take it and do exactly what He wants with it. And and I know it'll be great things because it was his idea. You know, getting to spend some time with my friend Eric is always extremely special to me. And I got to do that out there. Uh, so, so, so that's a highlight for me, no doubt. But also, um, be, because I was out there covering it as a as a production, I knew I was putting together this video. I probably uh, didn't experience it, like maybe the couple of hundred people who were there just to sit and enjoy and listen to the concert. Uh, I didn't get to enjoy it that way, and that's okay. I'm, I'm kind of used to that doing what I do. Um, but I did get to experience it um, f from a technical point of view as I was running around from camera to camera trying to keep things going making sure the audio was okay and you know making sure my batteries were going to hold out and and all those things you worry about when you're doing a video production uh, but i was able to um, uh, certainly indulge in in moments and um, you know i had always known or since eric had shared it with me and i'd always known about um, madeline's song which was a song he and Rich used to sing together that was never released. It was never recorded and released on an album, but they used to sing it together in concert. And um, I got to see him sing that, which was extremely special for me. I think Mitch McVicker, who I had never met before, and I certainly know Mitch's history to a certain degree with Rich and their closeness. I think seeing him sing his heart out was, um, was enjoyable and meaningful for me to see. Heaven is waiting just past the horizon, just over the mesas, across the great divide. Faith is blazing This trail that I ride on Up this mountain I'm praying I have the strength to climb Heaven is waiting Heaven is waiting yeah. um, I loved, loved the fact that the Navajo Indian Choir was involved in this to me, it just wrapped the whole thing full circle, you know. Rich loved those people, and that's why he decided to spend the last several years of his life out there. To promote them, to give them a voice, and they had a voice in this concert. So that was extremely meaningful to me also. Shift on, it will 
the whole event, quite frankly, is something that's going to remain very high on my list of um, wonderful things that have happened to me. Uh, you know, I think, um, I think my job is done with, with this in regards to what God was asking me to do and, and being obedient. I never, ever thought this was supposed to be a money maker for me or for Little Brown Dog Productions. I thought it was supposed to be a gift. And, and, and that's how we have presented it. It's a gift. And um, again, I don't know what's going to happen with it. I don't know who it's going to touch or who's going to indulge it or um, you know who's going to see it. I really, I really don't. And, and I don't even think about it, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I think putting it together, editing it down, the concert itself, it was well over four hours long and it's been edited down to about two hours and 45 minutes, which is still a long time, but there's a lot that's been cut out. Um, and, I, and I think it's appropriate to be this length and I think it's appropriate that it was cut down to that. Uh, everything involved in it, um, I think was, is, a, is, is part of God's plan for it. And, um, and it's going to do now for God what He wants it to do. It's as simple as that. You know, Mother Teresa once said, um, just be a pencil in God's hand. And, and that's what I think this is all about. I was just being a pencil in His hand. He wanted this created. He asked me to do it. I did it. And now He gets to uh, create whatever He wants to create with it. And I'm sure, I'm positive, no doubt in my mind, that he has great plans for it and he'll do with it as he pleases. And I am completely satisfied with that. So do I have plans to make money from it? Absolutely not. Um, are we going to share it on DVD? I, I don't think so, but who knows? If I feel like he asked me to do that, I guess I would. Um, there may be other avenues for it, uh, but, but I will react to that when when I'm nudged that way. Right now, I just think um, I've done what I'm supposed to do, and he's going to do the rest. And I'm thankful for that. to introduce Chuck as he uh, as you you know sh share your interview with him and then that, as that leads into this uh, recovered Rich Mullins interview from 1992 sure well once again this uh, originally aired on KHAC radio on September 19th 2017 on the 20th anniversary of Rich's passing uh, and uh, as you listen you just you'll kind of get an insider's look into how Rich Mullins became a part of of uh, native missions here in uh, Window Rock and on the Navajo Reservation, how he became involved with Christ for Native Youth and uh, uh, Chuck and Cindy Harper and the uh, KHAC Radio, Western Indian Ministries. And then uh, as 
Chris mentioned, we're going to get to hear a, uh, a really special, uh, rare recording, only recently unearthed, of Rich talking with Chuck uh, from March 10th, 1992. But first, here's the interview with Chuck. You're listening to the Western Indian Network, 880 AM KHAC, 104.9 FM KWIM, and 760 AM KTBA. And this past weekend, uh, we uh, celebrated the life of the late Rich Mullins, who uh, moved out here in the mid-'90s, spent a few years out here uh, working with Christ for Native Youth and Western Indian Ministries. And uh, we had this wonderful celebration over at the Window Rock and uh, had uh, some guests here, uh, Mitch McVicker and his brother David Mullins, and Chuck Harper, who uh, is joining us right now. And uh, Chuck, what, a, what an evening, wasn't it? It was spectacular. Boy, what a, what a night it was. Not just the Window Rock as the backdrop, which was spectacular enough in itself, but to have all these friends and people that that knew Rich and loved Rich or even that didn't know him yet until we get to heaven, but uh, have been impacted by him. And everybody getting together and just, you know, who else would you ever get together 20 years after the Lord calls them home and just talk about what what kind of impact he had on them? You know, what a legacy. Yeah, his, his brother, when he went up to speak, said uh, something to that effect. It was that, uh, you know, I've I can't remember ever being at a memorial service for somebody who died 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he said that um, that may not happen for me, but if somebody ever thinks about doing that for me, wouldn't that be something else? And here we were doing this for somebody. And I know you were close friends with Rich uh, during those years, uh, even before he moved out here. Uh, I know he was involved with uh, with you guys. Um, tell me a, a little bit about, I know we, we talked about this on Saturday night, but uh, just a little bit about how you got connected. It was back in uh, the winter of 92, right? It was in 1992. By the way, it doesn't even feel like 20 years. I can't believe it's been that long. It feels like it was just a year ago, maybe. But uh, 1992, I was working here in the radio station, and uh, we had put on a concert for another well-known music group, one that I admired and liked to listen to all through those rebellious, you know, wild and crazy years of <laughs> of the early days of contemporary Christian music. And uh, we had always dreamed, I'd always dreamed of having a concert here in Window Rock where we would pack it out and have hundreds, maybe thousands of people come and hear it. So we, we, we uh, put together this concert, and uh, I think it was in March, and we had this band come in. And uh, we lost our shirt on that one. Just lost so much money. The band didn't like the venue. They didn't like the place they were, the hotel we had booked for them, which isn't very much variety in this town, as you know. (laughs) They didn't like that. And uh, the only thing they did say, the golf course in Gallup wasn't so bad. And uh, (laughs) so that we barely saw them. They did their concert. They were out of here within a half hour. I'm thinking, why do we have to pay for a hotel for this band and all this stuff? And they're not even staying there. And uh, so they left and said, oh, losing $6,000, that's not too bad for a first concert. You know, you'll do better at it as you do this more often. I was like, I can't believe this. I'm used to ministry where people are just willing to yeah. do it for the Lord. And if they if they get paid, so what? You know, that's the way we all work. Uh, all, all business. That's right. So I was thinking, I'm never having a Christian concert again. No way, Jose. Well, here we come. Two weeks or two months later, I get a call from uh, Rich's booking agent. She goes, hi, I'm, my name is Gay Quisenberry, and uh, I, I represent a musician named Rich Mullins. 
and we we heard we just got your number out of the NRB directory. And uh, Rich has always had a passion for Native people, and you're the only name that shows up here that works with American Indians. And uh, so we've got a we've got a proposal for you. Rich wants to come and do a concert, but he's willing to sleep on the floor of a church or anywhere you have for him. He doesn't want a dime. He's going to bring three other bands with him. I think it was three. And uh, he's got the whole production. All you have to do is promote the concert, unlock the doors, and we'll do the rest. And uh, I said, well, how much will it cost? She says, it won't cost you anything. And in fact, you sell tickets, you take an offering, any way you want to do it is okay with us, but we want you to make a profit on this. And uh, so I said, well, what's the catch? <laughs> um, so there's got to be a there's catch. There's always a catch, this. right? She says, well, there is a catch. You know, <laughs> Rich wants to stick around for a couple of days and get to know Native people and get to, get to know what you do. Uh, okay, well, what's the real catch, you know? <laughs> Um, where are you gonna Where are you gonna steal my money like the other <laughs> man did? And she goes, No, that's it. And I said, Well, I know we play some of Rich Mullins, but I can't even remember what songs they are. And uh, I said, Let me pray about it, think about it. So I, I came to the library of our our famous KHAC Music Library. <laughs> KWIM wasn't on the air yet, and I found our our forty five records. We had Awesome God. We had Screen Door. And I think those were the only real two hits that were out at that point. And so I took those those 45s home with me that night. I played them for Cindy, and I says, guess what happened today? I said, I got a, I got a call, and I explained to her what happened. I said, should we do it? She says, no way. And uh, so I said, well, you know, I really like Screen Door. I play that song all the time in the mornings. <laughs> I really like Awesome God. You know, everybody likes that song. Uh, so she said, well, what's the deal? So anyway, as soon as I walked in the radio station the next morning, Gay calls me back. Rich really wants to come. Uh, do you got an answer for us? Did you pray about it? I said, yeah. I said, well, I'll tell you what. If that's the only catch and you can give it to me in writing, <laughs> uh, we'll do it. And so, <laughs> and so the rest is history. And that's how we got connected. Oh, and, uh, you know, today is, is obviously, if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Chuck Harper about the late Rich Mullins, and uh, today is 20 years since Rich went home to the Lord. Um, now, that was uh, March of 1992, and, and we're going to go back to March of 1992 in just a moment, but uh, I'd like to fast forward just a bit uh, to, I think it was 1995, you get a phone call from Rich, and, uh, and he's getting ready to show up here. What happened there? Well, I can't remember the whole sequence of things, but it wasn't but a year or two later, probably 95. He said, uh, I'm in school now. I really want to come back and uh, I'll be there next week. Is that okay?" And so, sure, come on out. So that began a whole series of him coming out during spring break. He'd usually come out during summer for a few days. We'd just go horseback riding, put on a little concert somewhere and uh, just do fun, crazy things. But we, he really liked to go climbing in canyons and writing songs. And we began a long history of just dreaming about doing things together. Our Trail of Hope conference, for example, was one of the ideas that we came up together, a group of us sitting on the canyon edge and saying, hey, let's put together a music. It, it, it began as a, as a music festival. And then as we talked about it, Rich was like, yeah, music festivals are just a bunch of wannabes and <laughs> it's all about the money. And he says, 
let, let's make it really count. Let's make it a conference where we really can impact the lives of these kids and uh, talk deeper with them about how to change their life and we can get to know them better. So what was going to be ResFest became Trail of Hope Conference. And uh, so through that, you know, we dreamed about doing all kinds of things, a sheep camp, and we dreamed about, you know, just how we could record music with native instruments, with native kids, have them make their own instruments, and then he would record an album with the kids. I remember hearing he uh, wanted to do a series of drum clinics out here. Right. Yeah, just all sorts of things. And uh, wanted to teach school, but he says, I'm, I'm too busy. I can never settle down and just be here for school, but uh, maybe I can. He actually applied to teach at Hilltop Christian School. Wasn't accepted. <laughs> that's another story in itself. But uh, anyway, that, that's kind of how it started. He'd come out at spring break. Then he'd come out for a little bit in the summer. And then uh, when he was finishing up college, you know, he, he always told us, I'm going to come out here and live someday. We thought, eh, that's never going to happen. Um, you're, you're too busy touring. And, you know, this is not the Nashville life and that you probably could be used to living, you know, was he was getting pretty popular in those days, writing new albums and going on tour with big people and uh, big, big name people besides himself. And uh, so he just one day called us and he said, I'm moving out there. Um, can you find some help to help us unload our trailer? And I said, you're going to be here next week? Where are you going to live? Well, I just want to live. I want to put up a little uh, uh, log, log pole building in your backyard. Would that be okay? And Cindy, you're like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Let's talk about it. So so anyway, that's how, that's how that all came to be. He showed up a week later. He had his teepee with him and all kinds of stuff. And we said, Rich. That, that doesn't work out here. Gonna, it's yeah. not going to work, you know. <laughs> You're not bringing peyote here. <laughs> he goes, no, I'm not doing that. So he said, but you better sell your teepee or, or use it on the Lakota reservation or somewhere. So anyway, he, he moved here and, and uh, just became a resident, became one of us here. And uh, as we heard, uh, if, if people were there on Saturday night, Mitch told the story of basically the fact that they were construction workers for two years. That's right. And, uh, <laughs> and I guess not all that great at it. <laughs> well, Rich was here for a while. He wanted to... He wanted to build a house behind my house, and uh, we weren't sure how long we wanted to have Rich's home there, knowing what kind of builder he wasn't, and <laughs> if he was going to build a house on our land, and uh, it's just complicated to build homes here on the in the area, mm -hmm. and with the county and all, so he said, you know, there's an empty house you could just rent from mom and dad. So he lived there for probably two or three years before he even thought of building Hogan. And uh, when he started talking about building Hogans, I'm like, are you crazy? Uh, he said, no, I really like to live in a Hogan. I said, that's, that's awesome. I'd love to li like to live in a Hogan, too. So he became a Hogan builder. And uh, it wasn't his thing. But he got it done. Got two Hogans built, moved in, and passed away a couple weeks later. Hmm. Uh, tell me a little bit about... Um, I know that uh, about a about a week before Rich went home to the Lord, you got to spend some time with him. Uh, I know he had been up in uh, Elgin, Illinois, where they were recording Mitch McVicker's first album. But uh, I know he he took some time to come down here that week before. And uh, what what was your your conversation with him like that night? Well, I really think that the Lord, when when the Lord's calling someone home, I think a lot of times I've heard this with other people. That idea is kind of in their mind. 
and he's the Lord's kind of talking to people and preparing them. Um, we we had a lot of barbecues and a lot of people over all the time when he was around, which we have ever since, and we always love like doing that. But uh, he had come; he had just written the Jesus album, and he he came home from his tour or whatever he was doing, and he says, "We just wrote a new album, and I can't wait to do it for you guys." you still have your piano ready to play and could we come over and and uh we want to we want to share with you this new album we just wrote it's called the jesus project he said it's the only time we've ever well i don't know if the sequence at all but he says we've never finished an album before we went in the studio mm. and this time i already know the sequence of the songs and they're going to be great it's going to be our best album ever can we come over and play it for you Sure, that'd be great. So, uh, so, so we got the burgers and we got all the stuff. Some other people were coming over to hear it too. So he had shared that with other people, and he was just exhausted. You know, the the last several, even the year or two before he passed away, he was just getting really exhausted. He was having stomach problems. He was weaker, and and uh, so that night he he was pretty worn out. We could tell. Then, but we were just having a great time barbecuing and talking and. He says, you know, I have it on a, I have it on a cassette tape. Maybe we'll just play it. I'm, I don't think I have the energy to, to do this tonight. Mm-hmm. But he called me outside, and he says, you know, as we went outside, he says, all the stuff we've been dreaming about, the sheep camp and all of this, he said, I'm not going to be able to do those things. And I thought, well, you're just tired tonight, you know. Sure you can, you know. Why, why would you say that? Are you moving somewhere? Are you giving this up? He goes, no, I don't know what it is. He says, something has changed. And uh, I think my last, I am probably recorded my last album. And he says, I, I'm not going to be able to do all the stuff that we dreamed about. But he says, I will be able to fund it. And he says, I don't know how it's going to happen or what the Lord's going to do with it. But whatever it is, the Lord's going to fund whatever he wants to do. So I'm not going to be able to do it. But, but uh, whatever is going to I don't remember the exact words, but I remember just thinking, what on earth are you telling me? You know, are you, are you leaving? It felt, we're always worried, you know, when you have great people around you and someday they're going to pack up and move and this good life you've had is going to be over. And, and that was kind of what I was feeling like, what are you saying here? And uh, he says, I don't know what it is, but it's not going to happen. So we went in to play the album, and we did. And he, he did play a couple of the songs um, live. And I remember thinking, I wish I could go get my recorder and record this tonight. <laughs> and I, I, I didn't have one at the, uh, at the home with us, so I had it over here at the office. And uh, But it was fun to hear his album, and he was just talking about all the songs and stuff. And Anyway, that was, that was what happened that night. And that was the last and time you saw him? That was the last time we saw him. Well, we said goodbye the next morning. I think he probably rolled out around noon and... And uh, was that very weekend when he passed away? When you look back on on Rich, and I know it's it, now it's it's twenty years, and I know that sometimes I, I was talking to Mitch this weekend, and he said sometimes it feels like that's a world away. You know, it seems like a whole lifetime ago. And then he said sometimes it feels like yesterday. And I just you know I can just remember being over there across the wash in the trailer, writing music with him, and it feels like it just happened. Um, when, when you look back on, on those times, those conversations, what do you remember most about Rich? Well, it, it's not his music. Although when I hear his music now, it's just like, oh, man, he's still around. You know, he's still doing this. 
and I know the songs. I remember when he wrote a lot of them, when he'd come over, hey, we just wrote a song. We got to try it out on you. And many of those songs, Brother's Keeper was one of those in particular. But uh, so that feels fresh and new. But when you think of all the stuff that happened and some of the things we did, you know, that does seem like a lifelong time ago. But I, I don't think of him as a musician. I think of him more of a kind of a life life on life philosopher because he was so real about everyday things and he could sit there and cuss and swear and talk all about <laughs> politics and how much he hated every one of them how hypocritical the church was how hypocritical especially the music industry was I remember one night we were sitting there watching the Dove Awards together and uh, as the musicians would come up he would just heckle and and uh, have comments about every every presenter or everybody that won and some of the things he said I still remember and just it's the funniest thing to remember today but you know I remember him more for just his critical spirit of life but yet his ability to bring it all back to to make sense into where where life is just messy people but we're here to lift up a holy God and when he would sin, which he did often, and do crazy things that most Christians would say, that guy's a Christian leader, and he sings in churches all the time? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that was him. But he always made sense of it, and he always took us back to the grace of God. Not that, you know, Romans says, should we keep on sinning so that God's grace may abound? The next phrase, may it never be. And that was rich. May this not be. I got to clean up my life. I got to clean up my act. But but praise God, God has grace. And that's really kind of the story of rich and what I think of. And uh, how how rough and raw he was, but how real he was. That's To me, that's the legacy of rich. We're talking to Chuck Harper uh, on this, the 20th anniversary of uh, the home going of uh Rich Mullins uh, died on uh, September 19th, 1997, uh, in a car accident. And uh, a few months ago, uh, Chuck comes into the office, and I, I got into the office just a few minutes after him, and he's standing there, and he goes, oh, hey, I got something for you. And I walk over, and uh, he pulls out a cassette tape. He says, uh, take a look at this, find out what's on it. And it's labeled Rich Mullins, March 1992. Uh, going back to that very, very first meeting you had uh, when he came out here. And um, I, you know, immediately went back to the uh, our uh, our production room and I popped the tape in. And uh, my voice changed. It was incredible. <laughs> uh, I heard this guy talking to Rich and I was like, oh, who is this guy? I was like, hmm. I was like oh, my goodness. I think that's Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you're just a kid. I kind of was. <laughs> and. uh Listen, and and it was Chuck and Rich having this great conversation uh, on the radio uh, back in, uh, I think it was March 10th, actually, 1992. And he had just done a concert in Tuba City, I think, and was mm -hmm. g getting preparing to do, or no, I think he had just done Tuba City and Window Rock. I think you interviewed him after everything was over with. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, he said uh, Beaker was still asleep in the in the trailer, and uh, he would oh. come down and, and talk with you a bit. Yeah. And uh, they, uh, it was really a, a really cool thing for me to hear uh, this this interview that probably hadn't aired in 25 years, mm -hmm. and uh, 
what we're what we thought would be kind of special today to do is uh, for the first time in a quarter of a century bring you that interview uh, with Chuck Harper and and Rich Mullins and uh, uh, just. Uh, Take a few minutes to kind of hear from his heart. And uh, we played a, a little tiny portion of this uh, on Saturday night over at the Window Rock. And I, I think a really uh, particularly touching moment uh, of this interview um, that I'm so, so thankful you had the foresight uh, in, in 1992 to ask Rich about. I, I, he, I guess he, was, he had spoken church the uh the the day before can you what are your memories of of what oh, happened i remember that that very clear uh, in fact it's still one of my favorite stories i tell when people ask me if i remember rich was it right here at community uh, bible church it was here at community bible church that interview took place rich was sitting where i'm sitting and i was sitting where you're sitting in this very room and uh rich had just been here and we were, went over to church the next sunday morning rich insisted he be there and then they said, hey, would you play the piano? Yeah, sure. So he goes and plays the piano. And uh, then the, the pastor, the youth pastor, calls Rich up to the front. And uh, without any warning, without any, any uh, time to think about it, the, the guy, the Dick McKean, some of, a lot of our listeners will remember that name. Dick McKean asks Rich, what do you think of the window rock? So he walks to the front and he nails it. And he says, well... I, mean, I, get, I don't know if you want to play the tape or not. I but, think, but here's here's what he, Rich said. He says, well, yesterday we've got to go look at the window rock. And then he says, the window rock itself is just like any other rock. But the thing that makes it unique, it has a big hole right in the <laughs> middle of it. And that hole is, is what makes that rock beautiful. And he says, if you look through that rock, there's big beautiful sky and it makes this beautiful contrast um he I, I can't even come close to saying how nice he said it but he says what makes the difference is that rock has emptied itself from itself and because it's got something else filling it it makes it beautiful he said god has made every one of us just like that rock and if we fill ourselves with ourselves we're just like any other rock but if we empty that self and we fill it with the beauty that God has given us and the beauty of God himself, then we become different and we stand out and then something beautiful and unique happens. And I'm like, how did he pull that analogy up in like 30 second notice? And uh, that's just the way Rich looked at the world. That's the way his worldview was. It was just totally different than most of us think about things. I was going through some of these tapes that, that you, you found a bunch of cassette tapes, and there's a few things that, uh, that you found with Rich on them. And one was a retreat that was done next door mm -hmm. as well over at CBC. Yeah. And uh, he starts talking about a, uh, a, a hummingbird that got trapped in his porch and turned it into this amazingly beautiful message and it just happened like an hour before he got there mm -hmm. and I, I'm always amazed by people that can just see life happen little things you know the simplest little thing in life and God uses that to just speak to them in profound ways and I, and I got the sense that that was really the case with Rich it really was in fact there's there's some musicians that kind of think on a whole different level they think maybe it's right brain, left brain, how <laughs> musicians are on the opposite side of most of us. Whatever it is, all of that God-given creative energy was in Rich's head. And you could sit with him for, for a half hour anytime, 
and he'd always come up with things like that. Just the way he looked at the world was so uniquely different. And I think that's what, what was one of the things that made him so different. And that plus his love for people and his ability to understand God's grace and where we're going with that is, is why we're still talking about Rich 20 years later. Here it is, uh, Chuck Harper uh, interviewing Rich Mullins from March 10th, 1992. Enjoy. In the Lord, Rich Memorial is where I was born. They wrapped you in swaddling clothes. Really dressed in baby Well, you're listening to a great song there. It's called Boy Like Me, Man Like You. And, uh, well, the boy like me is with us in the studio. It's good to have you with us, Rich. It's good to be here. And uh, we've enjoyed having you around KHAC and Quinder uh, Rock and Navajo Land for the past few days. It's been a thrill getting to know you a little bit. Well, it's been uh, really great to be here. I've, um, we've been touring for quite a while, and, and uh, I think we've had more fun here than we've had just about anywhere we've been. Well, good. Well, you're welcome to come back anytime. We really enjoy playing your music on KHAC, and uh, uh, maybe some of you didn't get to go to the concert or didn't hear about it or something. Shame on you. But uh, anyway, you might have heard of Rich Mullen's songs in the past, uh, some of which include Awesome God and one of Amy Grant's songs, Sing Your Praise to the Lord. Got to hear you play that yesterday at Hilltop School. What a thrill. Yeah. I want to, maybe you could tell us a little bit about who writes your songs and uh, how a song comes about and things like that. Well, I, I write most of them, and uh, Beaker and I co-write quite a bit, and um, I don't know, I, um, a lot of people think that songwriting is a real special big deal, and I um, kind of think it's really not a lot different than baking a cake or building a fence or putting plumbing in a house. You just, it's just hard work like anything else. Yeah, and you... Uh, I mean, I think anyone can do it. It's like I, I can build a fence, but I can't build a great one. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, in fact, built a fence around my house to keep my dogs in, and um, it don't look like much, but it was fun to build. And I think um, it'd be good for people to do more stuff that they're not good at, just for the fun of doing whatever you can do. And uh, I, uh, we spend a lot of time riding in the truck, you know, getting from one place to the other, and that's where we do a lot of riding. Do you have a guitar or something you take with you in the truck? No. Just to... In the truck? rhythm on the wipers on the window or something. Uh, yeah, you just kind of... You just kind of think through ideas in the truck, and then when you get to a place with a piano or when you get to the hotel room and you can pull a guitar out, then you start working on the actual form of the song, so... Mm. This song we're listening to in the background is uh, it's become one of my favorites, Boy Like Me, Man Like You. Tell us how that song came about, a little bit about it. Well, uh, Beaker and I were just talking about uh, just the uh, mystery that God became flesh and dwelt among us, and um, that that is a historically uh, verifiable as the fact that there was once an Alexander the Great, or that there was a, uh, a Revolutionary War, or anything else. It's it's not like it's some faraway story that that um, you have to completely believe by faith. I mean, this actually happened in history, and we have records of it. And uh, we were talking about 
that the fact that it is a fact doesn't make it any less mysterious. And it's still hard to imagine that uh, God, who is spirit, would take on flesh. And um, we were talking about that he, uh, we were talking about Mary and that um, why Mary is so important is because um, it was from her that God took his flesh, that he, um, she said yes to God and conceived uh, of the Holy Spirit. And that's a strange thing to think of. Um, and then Jesus lived as, a, as every man does, which means that it, at some point he dirtied his diaper which means at some point he likely skinned his knees. He probably burped. He probably burped. <laughs> he probably did uh, a lot of, of, of things that, that uh, we think God would never do, but God did. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the reasons why I like to read the prophets, because God does a lot of funny things in, among the prophets, too. Like, he whistles, and you don't hear about that when you read Paul, but you do when you read the prophets. He rolls up his sleeves. I love that image. Mm-hmm. He does a lot of things in the prophets that are very uh, human-like. And believing that man is made in the image of God, that when um, God made us, he made us to be something like him. Um, but we fall short, and we couldn't. Um, Adam sinned, and Eve sinned, and so their children were born uh, defective, so to speak. Uh, we are less than we were created to be. And then God because he loves his image of himself so much, he became his own image and uh, took our sins upon him himself. And we were just talking about the whole mystery of that and, and kind of the wonder of that. And then we ended up just kind of going, you know, it's a, it's a mysterious and a wild thing to think that God who is from eternity to eternity should come and dwell in time and that he who is spirit should take on flesh. But even more mysterious... We who once were nothing, we came to be. That we were pulled out of thin air, so to speak. That we once uh, did not exist. And just, I mean, from my experience, my, uh, my father's dad was a coal miner in um, eastern Kentucky in a part of the country called Appal- Appalachia is what they call it. Other people call it Appalachia. And uh, when my dad was 14, my grandpa looked at him and his brother and said, Boy, I don't, I don't want my boys to grow up and be coal miners. So they decided to move to Detroit, Michigan, hoping to get jobs in a factory. And they ran out of gas in Indiana. And that's how my dad met my mom, and that's how I got here. And I think that's kind of amazing to me, because if my dad would have run out of gas, if my grandpa would have run out of gas somewhere else, my mom and dad would never have met, and I never would have happened. And so you look at people, you look around, and you... You see all these particular configurations of genes, and you go, it's a miracle that any of us are ever born. And I, I, I can't help but think that maybe God had something to do with the fact that all of us exist, that all of our fathers and all of our mothers could have made it elsewhere, but they didn't. They made it with who they did, and that is the only reason why you are who you are. And uh, so I think... Um, Part of growing up to be like Christ means seeing people as they really are. And I think people really are miracles. I think the world is, is completely populated with miracles. And that everyone who is alive is a miracle. And everyone who is alive should be um, treated that way. 
that we should all respect one another and, and we should all, in fact, have a sort of reverence for each other that we sometimes don't have. Because you know what? There are slim chances that any of us would have come to be. And yet we did. And what a, what a wonderful thing. So, out of all that, then we ended up talking about what are some of the things that really make life great? Why is it that... I mean, I think there's a certain amount of suffering in life. And there's a certain amount of futility in life. I mean, the Bible certainly doesn't, doesn't seem to uh, blush at the fact that life is futile. That we work and we play and we live and then we die and we're forgotten. And um, in the midst of all of that, you go, why would God have us be alive? And we went, well, maybe just, maybe just for the, the fun of learning how to whistle. Maybe... Um, life is good because you have a dog and, and you can lick its nose yeah. occasionally, which is actually a line we stole out of, of a book by T.H. White called The Once and Future King. Mm. Um, maybe life is good because you can skip rocks across creeks. Maybe life is good uh, because, yeah, you can do all those kinds of things. And maybe it is the really, the silly things in life that make life, life a worthwhile venture. And... Um, so while life is futile and while, uh, we will all one day die, um, not only did God create us in the first place, but while we strive to be like him, we're pretty apt to fail. Right. We're pretty apt to let ourselves down even more so I think than God, because I think God knows that we're dust mm -hmm. and I don't think he's too uptight about it. Mm -hmm. Um, but the the next miracle, the next step in this long progression of wonders is that after we have died and been forgotten and after we've stunk up the ground somewhere and turned into, back into dust, then God will resurrect us. And um, then he will make us perfect like we could never make ourselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it just don't stop. Right. It just goes on and on. <laughs> and very much... Because God became a boy, because God became a man, and lived among us, and took upon himself our sins, and took our sins down into hell and threw them away mm -hmm. where they belong, so that uh, we could be resurrected to live in heaven with him. That's beautiful. I heard you make a comment Sunday about uh, the window rock and how we all have a hole within us, and if we fill it with ourselves. It's not as beautiful as it could be when there's blue sky behind it or something like that. You want to explain or say it better than I can? Well, the, um, I don't know if I can or not. Sometimes sometimes you can do it, sometimes you can't. Um, <clears throat> I was just looking at it and going, wow, I see stones every day. Um, and driving from uh, Flagstaff to Albuquerque and then back to here and then across to uh, Tuba City, beautiful, beautiful, great stone monoliths that are just shocking to see. And I went, but why is this so exceptional? And I realized it was exceptional because it was empty. And I thought, uh, what a wonderful thing that because that rock emptied itself, it stands out above all the other ro rocks that I've seen. It will be the one that that somehow is a sticking image for me. And I thought, not only is it wonderful that that rock emptied itself of itself, but then the sky filled it up with the sky. Much like 
Jesus, Paul said, emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. And um, no one in the history of mankind was as glorious as Jesus was. And I think that the glory of a Christian is not that we fill ourselves up with um, our own self-righteousness, that we fill ourselves up with our own um, pride in ourselves and pride in our accomplishments, even spiritual accomplishments, mm -hmm. and our own little victories, which are really pretty tawdry when you look at them in light of the history of the world and in light of eternity, they are an imperceptible ripple. Um, but when we empty ourselves and when we acknowledge before God that we really are nothing, um, then God fills us up with himself and we become something. And so I, I believe that uh, much of the Christian life has to do with avoiding that temptation to um, be full of ourselves, mm -hmm. be full of our own ambitions, be full of our own um, desires, be bent on vengeance, be bent on uh, being recognized, those kinds of things. God will make us into something beautiful. Yeah. Well, we sure appreciate you coming to Navajo Land and, and having some concerts here and getting to know you a bit. How can uh, our listeners pray for you and your ministry? Ooh, well, just by talking to God about it. <laughs> um, specifically, uh, I think energy is the big, the big concern that, that we always have. It's always a, um, you're always fighting a battle with fatigue. Um, and it's a strange thing because um, a lot of people, uh, never having done this, may not understand but um, a lot of people think that we put in about a three or four hour day and we probably put in an average of about 15 hours a day of work. And um, then there's always that problem when you, uh, well, like you get up at, at 7.30 or 8 in the morning, which is fairly late for most people, I recognize. But you uh, jump in the truck and you have to take off and then you probably drive for five or six hours. And you get to the place where you're going to do the concert and you do the uh, sound check. And um, there are always problems at sound check. It's always hard to get the, all the sounds right so that there's no feedback. And there's, it's a very delicate thing. And we have a sound man who works very hard and who probably left at 5 o'clock in the morning to get to the place to set up. Uh, you do that and then you rush through a meal and then you, you do the concert and then after the concert... You meet people, and sometimes I've always, um, one of the things that I like in the Gospel of Mark, and sometimes I think I might give the impression that Mark is my favorite gospel, and I don't know that it is, but I think that Mark um, did some very interesting things in his writing, and one of the things that I've noticed is very frequently in Mark, um, he talks about Jesus retreating to a quiet place and getting off by himself. And I think the part of it is that meeting people can sometimes be kind of draining. Um, I notice in the in the Bible very interestingly that when the uh, woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of Christ's garment, that he felt strength leave. Mm. And um, so we're always shaking hands with people and hugging people. And there are people who hug you, and when they do, you get a real energy charge from them. I mean, you feel, after you've hugged them, you come away feeling revitalized. You feel, re And then there are many people who hug you very needy people, and after a lot of these people have hugged you, you feel really drained. You feel like, and I don't know if there is a uh, anything to that or not. There might be. Who knows? Um, it certainly isn't a 
anything I would want to make a doctrinal issue out mm-hmm. of. But I kind of go, boy, this could, this is it's a very possible thing that there is that there is a real. Uh, I know Paul says that we should not um, that we should not join ourselves in physical activity with prostitutes because we become one with them. And I don't know. Um, a lot of times, Europeans and uh, Greeks and like that like to separate the, the spirit and the soul from the body. But I'm not sure except what our bodies are, our spirits. And uh, that, that it's all connected. And that's why we should uh, maybe sometimes could be worn out by being touched mm. and all that. But then, you know, there's the problem of trying to find a laundromat. Like you need to do your laundry if you're at home. You know right where the laundromat is. And so three minutes time you can be there. In an hour's time you can have your laundry done and folded and you can be back. Well, out on the road, you have to spend a good 45 minutes to an hour finding a laundry. You get there and you realize you don't have any soap and it takes another 15 minutes to find a grocery store to buy the soap. And then by the time you get the soap, you don't have time to do your laundry anymore. So Mm. there are many frustrations and um, that sort of thing. So all in all, it, it becomes a very taxing thing and you're away from... Uh, familiar people and familiar sights and uh, your own bed. Uh, you're away from that for, uh, we've been away since August, I guess. Living close with people that you might not necessarily get along real well with. You know, wonderfully enough, the, the people we travel with, I get along very well. I have been on tours where um, <coughs> the people were very hard to get along with. But um, Avenue G... And Jeff Sack and Jimmy A and Beaker and Marita, who is our road manager, and Bob and Kale, who are the crew, and uh, Doug. They're all just great people to get along with. Julie Van Meter, very sweet girl. Mm. Um, The whole gang is just um, really kind of a blast. And, of course, anytime you put that many people in a very small space, there's going to be conflict. Um, And you expect that. And if there wasn't, you would think maybe something was really wrong. <laughs> but um, overall, they are very, um, very good to be with. And I am very thankful that I have people to travel with. I used to travel alone. Mm. And uh, without someone there to watch over you, um, when you're in a town full of strangers, you think you can get away with more than you really ought to. Mm. <laughs> and um, so it's good to have an accountability built in to your traveling situation. There are a lot of things that I would be tempted to do that I uh, am not so tempted to do because of the people I have with me. Hmm. And um, so that's that's all very good. Good. Well, unfortunately, we're way out of time. And uh, again, we'd like to thank you for coming to, to the Navajo Nation and stopping by our, here at KHAC. And... Uh, you're welcome back anytime. We'd love to have you. Well, I want to thank you for all the good coffee and all the Navajo tacos. <laughs> good. Well, again, thanks for stopping in this morning. Well, that was my guest, uh, Chuck Harper, and uh, his guest, Rich Mullins, from March 10th, 1992. Now I really feel old. <laughs> <laughs> Who was that kid? Oh, uh, yes. My voice has changed. <laughs> and I guess it still does once you become an adult until the time you get older. So. Well, Chuck, thank you again for uh, for talking with us today. Of course, today is the 20th anniversary uh, of when Rich uh, passed away. And uh, any last thoughts? Well, thanks for sharing that. I guess there's one other point that I really think is uh, an important point about Rich. 
And uh, that point is just his value system and how he lived life in, in so many different ways than we normally think. You know, we, we like to think, what's, what's that value of that? What's, what's important about that? But Rich looked at people. He looked at all the things around him in a whole different way, a whole different value system. Um, when he would see a, a homeless person, you know, we, we think, oh, that, that person, you know, kind of like Scripture would, would change us. You know, don't think of what kind of clothes they wear, all that kind of stuff. But how, how the Lord looked at people, I think, is how Rich looked at people. His very first concert, for example, we were setting up chairs and everybody was excited. This guy, Rich Mullins, was going to be here and we're expecting this guy to be coming in from the fancy bus and all this. And we're busy just doing all kinds of things as we had a great core of volunteers. And as we're setting up chairs, here's this guy in the back, you know, barefoot, looks like a hippie, walked off the street, sunburned. And the guy who was in charge of our chairs, you know, he, he goes, hey, you want to help us? He goes, sure. So all for a good hour, you know, he's he's there sweeping the floor, setting up chairs, asking what else he can do. And we thought, what a friendly guy. I don't know who this is, but <laughs> he's he's shown up early for Rich's concert, you know, but he's here helping us. And uh, we never asked his name. I hadn't met him yet either myself. And uh, so maybe I did. I don't remember how that went. 20 years, you tend to forget things. But anyway, I do remember as soon as the concert started, our friend Will was up was standing in the back and rich gets introduced and here comes rich on on stage and his jaw just dropped he goes <laughs> that's rich mullins he was helping us set up the f he was sweeping the floor i didn't know that was him <laughs> he goes that is so cool but that's the way he lived all the rest of his life and uh another another way you know we we watched a lot of movies with rich when you're doing a morning program here at the radio station and you start at 6 o'clock and you're getting here at, you know, 5.45 every morning and you have a guy wanting to watch movies till 2 or 3 in the morning, you're, you're losing a lot of sleep. And uh, anyway, Rich used to come over and want to watch movies. And then one night we're watching movies and he goes, how much does a TV cost? And I'm like, <laughs> of all people, you ought to know how much a TV costs. And and, uh, you know, he was crazy about Kid Brothers or about uh, St. Francis of Assisi, who was a famous, you know, guy from years gone by who his story was he left all his riches and became poor for the sake of Christ. And that's the kind of person he wanted to be and the kind of person he really was. So anyway, as we we're watching the, the movie, he goes, I think I'd like to get a TV in my house. He's living in this little old, I call them Fedmart houses. <laughs> and uh, so he's living there, and he, I think I'd like to have my own TV. I'm like, yeah, that'd probably be a good idea. <laughs> and so he goes, how much, would it, how much do TVs cost? And I said, well, you could, you could buy one at Walmart, which had just opened in Gallup not too long before. Or you could go to Albuquerque and buy a really fancy one. I said, maybe anywhere from $100, like our little black and white TV, to $2,000. He goes, well... How much would that one be that we watch usually? And I said, well, that's a that's a color TV, 15-inch uh, <laughs> screen, you know, maybe $200. And he goes, is that a lot of money? <laughs> I said, well, to some people, that is a lot of money. To some people, it might not be. And he goes, I'm going to find out if I have enough money to buy a TV. <laughs> you know, don't you know? He that, goes, that's incredible. He says, I don't know how much I'm worth. I, I have no idea. In fact, I don't want to know. So the next day he comes back and he says, 
my accountant guy told me I have enough money to buy a TV. Would you go get it for me? <laughs> sure, okay. So so anyway, we went and got him a TV, and he was thrilled, you know, and a VCR even, which went with that. So he was all set. Did that end up in the Hogan? Um, it actually stayed in the house where, <laughs> where he was using the plumbing. <laughs> but I still don't think he watched it much because he was still at our house all the time or whatever. Uh, I've had a couple people uh, tell me I, I think Mitch Mitch once said that uh, Rich would l like to bring you know videos over to watch with you guys and he, it would be some film that he thought was totally brilliant and that your wife Cindy thought was terrible <laughs> we got banned from going to the video store both of us <laughs> anyway we, it was fun we set them straight sometimes too though gotcha <laughs> Uh, well, so fun uh, looking back, Chuck, and uh, thank you for sharing some of those memories. And uh, uh, what is uh, one one last question? I, I know what I asked you earlier. What you think of when you uh, when you look back and you think of Rich? Uh, what does it mean for you today, twenty years after you know he's gone to glory? He's with our Father. Uh, he's where we all long to go. Uh, 20 years later, um, when, when you look at you know, the fact that we're still talking about Rich 20 years after he went home, I mean, I'm, I'm living here because when I was 17 years old, his life touched me. Um, how does that encourage you in your own walk? It has many, many times over the years, and uh, I'm sure it will until I die. Um, some of the, the big things are, you know, that God's grace is sufficient for us all. Nothing we can do will ever separate that from between us and the Lord. You know, Rich, Rich had a propensity to sin, and he probably didn't have the same kind of gauges or conscience or whatever it is that stops us sometimes. And sometimes, you know, I've sinned, and I've felt like, man, I've blown it, I've messed up. I've, there's nothing that would want God to want me to come back to him. And when I think about Rich, I'm like, you know what? There's hope. Rich could still have this impact on people, even though he he was guilty of so many things. And uh, there's there's hope for us to carry on because of that. There's there's some words from Rich's song, <laughs> and so that would be one thing. Another thing is just how he loved people and accepted people for who they were. Um, that's another thing that drives and motivates me and remembers or makes me think back to Rich and how he would be so accepting of everybody and never letting anybody get left in the cracks or in the background. And just everybody is equal at the foot of the cross. And uh, just some really beautiful things about Rich and our value system and how, you know, the stuff we have on earth is just not worth much at all. We can't take it with us. Um, Rich didn't take a U-Haul with him to heaven. He left it all behind, and we're going to do the same things here. So uh, we can we can just keep going and living our life, knowing that we're all messy people, lifting up a holy God. Thanks, Chuck. Thank you. So thanks again to Chuck for looking in the in the drawer of his office 
finding that tape, uh, I'm I'm grateful for it, and uh, I found I found that interview very moving. Uh, and it's, it's 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 strange to look back on Mullins, and I think what we do when we listen to him is we we just continue to try to unpack what he was about and all the the thoughts that went on in his head. And and it's just it's amazing to hear him kind of in in, in an off the cuff moment sometimes. It's almost like he kind of forgot he was being recorded sometimes. So uh, thanks again to Chuck and to Larry Hanley for for documenting the the Window Rock event. Please check out the Between the Songs page. And uh, also, don't forget to check out St. Rich Beard Oil. Okay, well, we should mention that we're going to have another bonus episode for you next week. And uh, that is also somewhat related to today's episode. We're kind of digging back through these recordings. As I mentioned earlier in the show, we were just on Rich Mullins' uh, burnout for a couple months. So now we're playing catch-up and... uh, we uh, have an interview that I taped with Andrew Osenga, who was one of the artists who performed at the Rich Mullins 20-year tribute. Um, and, and by the way, on a side note, I will say that uh, Andrew, uh, his performance of Hard to Get in the concert is, is seriously one of the highlights for me. But uh, I taped this interview with him that really, I, I don't think we initially were planning to release on the podcast. It was to promote the concert here on KHAC. But we were going back through it, and uh, for a good portion of the interview, he talks about Rich. And I thought that that would be a really good tie-in as well, now that the uh, concert has been released. So we're going to bring you that bonus episode next week and talk a little bit about some of the stuff that uh, Andrew Osenga has been involved in, because he's... He's kind of got a lot going on in the Rich Mullins world right now. So thanks again. Thanks for listening to Rich Mullins Between the Songs podcast. And uh, catch us very soon with another bonus episode. Mm-hmm.